Good morning, church. It's good to see each of you here this morning. Thankful for the time of worship we've enjoyed, aren't you? Because the focus of our worship is Jesus Christ, and it is truly a privilege to gather with other Christians. We take it for granted. So easy for us to do this. Such a privilege for us to get to do this each week. I want to encourage you, if you've not already headed that direction, to take your Bibles and find the Gospel of John, chapter 15. We're going to look at some verses in chapter 14 and again in chapter 15. We've been studying this passage, and we want to draw from it. We still have quite a number of areas that we need to cover in this passage of Scripture. Uh, I've mentioned it before, but I anticipate we're going to go right up to uh, Thanksgiving. We've got five, six, seven messages left, I think, in this. At least that's the way it's looking like right now. But we're talking about all the implications of what it means when we talk about Christ in you and you being in Christ. And this morning, our title for this message is, Where Do Disciples Abide? Where Do Disciples Abide? I want to begin by reading in chapter 14, and I'm going to begin reading in verse 16. I'm going to read down to verse 20. This is the very end of chapter 14, verses 16 to 20. And I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may abide with you forever. The Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you. A little while longer, and the world will see me no more. But you will see me. Because I live, you will live also. At that day, you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. Father, thank you for your word. We pray that the truth of it would come alive in every heart in this room. We know that that's possible because your Holy Spirit is here. We know this morning we need more than the written word. We need more than the spoken word. We need you, the living word, to apply it and make it come alive in our heart. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. That verse 20, when you and I fully understand it, is absolutely stunning. Uh, I'm going to ask a couple people to help me uh, this morning. Um, Trent, brother, it's good to see you up there this morning. Would you join me up front for just a second? And uh, Will, since you're just sitting there, would you come join him, please? <coughs> he just happened to be sitting next to Trent. And um, this is Trent. Everybody say good morning, Trent. Good morning. And this is Will. Everybody say good morning, Will. Good morning, Will. All right. Let's... Listen to verse 20 as Will gets here, okay? There's part of this I can't really illustrate because it really wouldn't be pretty. Um, but, but, but look at again at verse 20. At that day you will know, and he says three things. I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. So I'm going to represent 
all of us as individuals, okay? But Trent here, I'm going to let him represent God the Father, okay? And, and he's, he's a big guy. And so I think of my father as being big, don't you? And so I'm going to put Trent here in the front, in front of me, all right? But what did Jesus say about the Father, about his relationship to the Father? What did he say? Where is he in relationship to the Father? He's in the Father, right? So Will here, we're going to let him represent Jesus. Doesn't he look like Jesus? If, why did they laugh? All right, so, so I, just use your imagination here, okay? But I'm going to move Jesus over here. And he is in the Father, right? Those of you who are right in front of Trent, you can't see Will, can you? Because he is in the Father. Now, what does he say about you and me then at that point? He says, I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. Okay, so I'm the representative individual here, okay? So I, he says, you are in Jesus. You are in me. I am in the Father, Jesus says. You are in me. And then Jesus, Will here, is in you. Now, if you could, if, if these guys, if we could just sort of draw a circle around each of these guys. So Trent would be like a wall of Trents. If you could have a wall of Trents around us, that'd be a lot, that'd be a big line. All right, be like Mississippi State last night. So it'd be, it'd be like a, uh, don't do that. It'd be like, a, be like a wall of Trents right there, okay? And then, and then Will's Jesus, be like a wall of Jesus all around you. And then you are in the middle of that, that circle. And on top of that, Jesus says he lives in you. You know what that means? It means before anything can get to you, that thing has to go through the Father. And before it can ever get to you, it not only has to go through the Father, who else does it have to go through? Jesus has to go through Will back here. And then, and that's from the outside. If something's happening on the inside, what do I have on the inside? <coughs> Jesus. He's describing an environment that is true about you, whether you understand it, realize it, recognize it, or not. It is the environment in which you live. Thank you, gentlemen. Would you all give them a hand? Where do disciples abide? Well, the short answer we find in John chapter 15. You see, in 14, Jesus, this is just a refresher, he's telling his disciples that he's leaving. He's going to die. He is not going to do what they expected. He's not going to be that Messiah who's coming to introduce a kingdom and rule with a rod of iron and drive the Romans out and whoop up on all the enemies. He's not going to be that kind of Messiah. He's about to leave, and they are stunned. And on top of that, he introduces some things they weren't expecting. He says, I'm going to send a helper, the Holy Spirit, and, and he's going to come. He's been with you, but now he's going to be in you. And this relationship that we have is going to change dramatically. He says, you see, because I'm in the Father, and you are in me, and I'm in you. Now, that's a lot to conceive in the mind, isn't it? I mean, that conceptually, that's hard to get your mind around that when he says that you are in me and I am in you. Now, I hesitated to do this. I was uh, talking to one of my sons this morning, and he's like a guru in biblical languages. And, um, and I, he said, what are you going to share today? And I was telling him what I was going to share. 
And uh, I said, I'm thinking I need to talk to the church about the locative of sphere. He said, you're kidding. You're going to talk to the church about that? And I said, why? I think, I think I'm going to, and I'm still not sure. <laughs> when, you, when you dig down into the biblical languages, I, I want to preface what I'm about to say with this statement. You do not know, need to know Greek or Hebrew in order for God to speak to you through his word. You do not need that. I had a gentleman in a church, my first church I pastored, older man. He read through the Bible, the entire Bible. I'm not exaggerating. I think about 12 to 15 times a year. And if you scratch that man, he bled scripture. He had no formal education. He just knew the word of God. And so when I make an occasional reference to the language, please don't think that you can't understand God's word without knowing the original language. It is a tool, but it is not at all a hindrance from God speaking to you through his word. That being said, when God inspired the Bible to be written, he inspired the Old Testament to be written in Hebrew. He inspired the New Testament to be written in Greek. One of the values of the Bible being written in Greek, the New Testament in Greek, is that the Greek language is extremely precise. It doesn't leave much room for question regarding the meaning of a verse. Now, we can interpret verses in different ways, but as far as the basic meaning of what the text says, Greek is extremely precise. And one example of that is the endings that it puts on different words. And because of the endings it puts on there, it's like a little flag saying, this is what I mean. And it makes it very clear to the scholars who pour over these original Greek and Hebrew texts as far as what it says. When Jesus says to us that we are in him, he is using in the original language a way of describing the action of a verb is being detailed and communicated to you and me. When something is located in a certain place, a locative, that's where the locative idea comes from, it means that the action of the verb is located in a specific place. Let me give you a couple examples. <coughs> there is a way of talking about a locative of place. That's what you would expect. In John 21, 8, it says the disciples came in the boat. Okay, lock it of a place. Where, how did they come? They came in the boat. It, it located them or limited their action to a specific place. They were in the boat. Another example would be a locative of time. You're limiting the action to a certain specific time. In um, chapter 20 and verse 19 of Matthew. And in the third day, in the third day, he will be raised up. When will he be raised up? It's located or limited to the third day. If it happens outside of that, the scripture's not true. And so it's located right there. And so what's happening here was when he says in John 15, verse 1, I am the true vine. In verse 4, he says, abide in me. Where are we supposed to abide? He has located it to a certain place. Abide in me. This is called a locative of sphere. It, it is like an... It's like a circle or a bubble, and the action happens inside that sphere or that bubble. 
And he says, I want you to abide, and we haven't studied abiding yet. We're going to do that. But he says, I want you to abide in the sphere that is me, in the atmosphere that is me, in the environment that is me. The thing that makes astronauts so fascinating, or scuba divers who go deep to the farthest depths of the ocean, is that they are able to to leave the environment where you and I normally experience life, and they go to the most hostile environments that we can imagine, and there they live. They work, they do things, they accomplish things. But how do they do it? They take their environment with them. They wear a spacesuit. They wear scuba gear. Uh, If they go really deep, they have to go in some kind of a little craft. Why? Because the environment is too hostile for their survival. They have to take their environment with them. Jesus Christ is the environment of every Christian in this room. Whether you fully understand it or not, he is your atmosphere. And he not only lives in you, we talked about that a couple of weeks ago, the inner life of the disciple, but he lives all around you. And we need to understand that truth today because that's where he says you're going to abide. You may not know fully what abiding is yet, but after today you're going to know where you're supposed to do it. You're supposed to do it in Christ. I want you to see four things about this environment. Disciples abide in a life-giving environment that is first of all, spiritual. It is a spiritual environment. Back in 14, chapter 14, verse 16, we read, and I will pray the Father and he will give you another helper that he may abide with you forever. And who is he? The spirit of truth, the Holy Spirit, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. When did he come to live in them? Well, after Pentecost, the Holy Spirit came. And like flames of fire, visually, there was a demonstration of the Holy Spirit coming on and ultimately into the followers of Jesus Christ. Our environment is a gift from the Father, and it is vastly superior than any other arrangement that we can imagine. Now, we've talked about this before, but for me, it seems it would have been much better if Jesus just stayed here. I could follow him more easily if I could see him and he was here physically. And yet, as we've already seen in places like John 16, 7, Jesus said it was to our advantage that he leaves and that the helper would come. Because Jesus can't be in two places at one time when he's in a physical body. But he can be with every single Christian on the planet this morning at the same time through his Holy Spirit. And so it's to our advantage, he said, that the Holy Spirit comes. Now the world uses spiritual in a lot of different ways. I lived out west in California for several years. It was very common for someone who had no Christian background, uh, no denominational affiliation, sometimes no... Uh, they weren't Buddhists, they weren't anything. In fact, 95% of California is nothing in terms of religious things. But they would look at somebody and they would say, well, that person is spiritual. Well, she is spiritual. And by that, they mean different things. Sometimes they mean they're a little off. 
Sometimes they mean they're just sensitive. You know, they're considerate and sensitive of other people. They mean different things. But you need to understand this. In the Bible, in the New Testament, when the word spiritual appears, it always is a reference in some way or other to the Holy Spirit. When we say someone is spiritual in the Bible sense, in the New Testament sense, it is always a reference to something that is of or by or for or from the Holy Spirit of God. Well, the result is, is that the world has no idea who the Holy Spirit is. He says the world cannot receive him. And he says, why is that? Well, a couple of things. He said, first of all, the world's not seeing him. He's not talking about seeing him with physical eyes. He's talking about perceiving him, recognizing his existence, perceiving that, that he is real. They're unable to observe or discern the reality or the existence of the Holy Spirit, so they don't receive him. Also, the world is not knowing him. Again, in the original language, there are different words for the word know. One of the Greek words for know means to know something is a fact. And like memorizing or, or knowing your math facts, your multiplication <coughs> tables, you can know something is a fact. But then you can know things experientially in my experience. I don't know it as a fact. I know it in my experience. I've experienced it. And he says the world has not experienced, doesn't know the Holy Spirit. They have not experienced him. And so they don't receive him. So they can't perceive or discern his existence. They can't experience him. They, they have no connection to him. They cannot receive him. But Jesus is saying he is our environment. He not only is with you, he's going to dwell in you, he says, to his followers. So when he's saying that our new environment, abide in me, in Christ, he's not saying something that is physical. He's describing something that is spiritual. This appears, for example, in Galatians 5. Well, we are told to walk in the Spirit. It's not a place, it's not a time, but it is an atmosphere, it is an environment. We are to walk in the realm of the Spirit. And just as that original illustration where I had God the Father out front and Jesus Christ behind him and then, then came me, I'm to walk in that environment with Jesus Christ as my element in which I live. So disciples abide in a life-giving environment that is, first of all, spiritual. Secondly, it is personal. This environment is personal. It's not impersonal. It's something very real. It's a relationship. He says in verse 18, I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you. A little while longer and the world will see me no more, but you will see me. The disciples have been together with Jesus for so long, not long in, in, in many respects, but for three, three and a half years, they've been together so long, they've become like family. And Jesus said, I'm leaving. And he was their leader, he was their rabbi, he was their, their teacher. And so he says, I'm not going to leave you as an orphan. An orphan uh, typically is someone who has no family. They have been perhaps abandoned by their family. They have no protection, no covering. And he says, I'm not going to leave you like that. I'm not going to leave you without a family. I'm not going to leave you unprotected. I'm not going to leave you unprovided for. I'm not going to do that. Jesus is saying you have not been abandoned and you do not have to fend for yourself. 
you still have a family environment to live in. Now, the world will no longer observe or interact with Jesus, but the disciples will, he says. How is that possible? Well, he tells them. He says, I will come to you. Now, he already said he's leaving, and it's to their advantage that he's leaving. But how is it possible for him not to leave them as orphans? He said, it's simple. He says, I will come to you. Through the Holy Spirit, and this is one of the things you must always remember about the Holy Spirit. He is not an impersonal force. He is not an it. And his primary assignment, listen, is to not just represent to you, but to communicate to you the presence of Jesus Christ as if he was here in the flesh in front of you. Jesus said, I will come to you. In what sense? Through my spirit living in you and surrounding you as your environment. And so this environment that we're talking about today, when he says abide in me, it is spiritual. It is also personal. But thirdly, it is essential. It is essential that you and I know about this, but that we take advantage of it. Jesus said, abide in me. This is the environment. It is essential to you. In verse 19, he says, because I live, you will live also. I want to live, don't you? Jesus said, because I live and I'm your environment, you're going to live also. In chapter 15, verse 4, he says, abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. We haven't talked about abiding yet. We haven't talked about fruit bearing or what the fruit is yet, but this is what he's saying. You can't produce fruit if you're a branch cut off from the vine. The vine is not an option. Your environment is not an option. If I cut off your air, you're going to discover that your environment is not an option. I brought with me something to help me with this. I've got to take off my glasses. Break them. That'd be a good one, wouldn't it? Now, what does it mean to do today? If I snorkel and I don't go too deep, I can maintain a connection with my environment that enables me to live when otherwise I would die. It is essential, it is not an option that I abide in my environment. Amen? We need our environment. And Jesus is saying, when you abide in me, you're you're maintaining your spiritual environment that you desperately, desperately need if you're going to maintain spiritual life. Not only on this side of heaven, listen, but on the other side of heaven as well. You need to abide in Christ. How essential is the astronaut's suit for his survival or her survival? It is essential. The scuba diver, it is essential. God has designed us in the natural world to be dependent on our environment for our survival. If I cut off your air, cut off your pieces of your environment a little bit at a time, maybe not all your air, you're going to get weak, you're going to get sick, you're you're not going to be able to operate and, and experience all of the life that you could experience. You need your environment. This organism can only live if it maintains its connection or union with its environment. Now, 
That, with that in mind, let me give you some examples that I think underscore how essential abiding in Christ is, in Christ as your environment, how essential that is. For example, Jesus repeatedly spoke of this world as a hostile environment. In John 16, listen to how he words this. This is really important. This is in the next chapter. These things I have spoken to you that in me you may have peace. Where are you going to have peace? Where is it located? In Christ. Outside of Christ, if you're outside your environment, if you're not abiding in him, are you going to experience peace? No. He located it or limited it to one place, in him. He said, I've spoken to you that in me, in me, you may have peace. In the world, in that environment, what are you going to have? Tribulation, trouble. You will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. He is the vine. I am not the vine, but everything I need to face every situation in life, he supplies himself to you as his child, the branch. So abiding in the vine is living my life in a certain environment, Jesus Christ, and this is essential. For example, and I can give you the scripture references privately, but I went back uh, this week and I, I just did a search on, on, in fact, on the Greek phrases, in the Lord or in Christ or in Christ Jesus, and, and just looked at how many times he talks about this. And this is just a fraction just a fraction. I am alive to God in Christ. I have eternal life in Christ. We are saved through Christ. We know that is a fact. It's a possibility, but it's not an actuality in my life until I am in Christ. There is no condemnation in Christ. If outside of that environment, I'm going to experience all kinds of condemnation but there is no condemnation in Christ. I can never be, be separated from God's love in Christ. I am part of one body with all other Christians in Christ. God is the one who establishes me in Christ. God is always leading me in triumph in Christ. You are already in the atmosphere of heaven in Christ. For example, in Ephesians 1 verse 3, uh, I did put this one out. I want you to see this. God has blessed us with every spiritual blessing right now in the heavenly places in Christ. God has a detailed plan for your life and for my life in Christ. In Ephesians 2.10, he says, For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for every good work which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. In 1 Thessalonians 5.18, he says, In everything give thanks, for this is a will of God. And where is that will of God found? In Christ Jesus for you. You will never encounter a life situation where his supply is not more than adequate to meet that situation. He is your environment supplying you with everything you need. In Acts 14, verse 3, for example, it says, therefore, they stayed there a long time, speaking boldly in the Lord. He was their environment. Why were they able to speak boldly? Because they were in the Lord. And what was the Lord doing? 
who was bearing witness to the word of his grace, granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. And so he was their environment. They were resting in that environment. They were speaking from out of that environment to a watching world, and that environment was acting on that world as they spoke. You have capacities in the Lord that you don't have outside that environment. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1, he says, You therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is where? In Christ Jesus. In your environment, there is strength in his grace. Ephesians 6.10, he says, Finally, my brethren, be strong. How? In the Lord. That's where it's limited to. That's where your strength is. It's limited to your environment in Christ and in the power of his might. When it comes to forgiveness, I'm forgiven. Where? In Christ. In Ephesians 4.32, we're told to forgive one another as God in Christ has forgiven you. That's where it took place. So what does that mean? That means in Christ, I can forgive you. Now, outside of Christ, outside my environment, I'm going to find it very difficult to forgive, perhaps. But in my environment, where I experience forgiveness from God himself, I can forgive you, and you can forgive me. Wherever I am, I am in Christ. Philippians chapter 1, verse 1, this is so critical. Look at this. Paul and Timothy, bondservants of Jesus Christ, all the saints in Philippi, they're not just in Philippi, are they? To all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi, they're in Christ first. Their environment goes with them wherever they are. And so they're in Philippi, yes, but they're in Christ Jesus in Philippi. Makes all the difference in the world. Colossians 1 verse 2, to the saints and faithful brethren in Christ who are in Colossae. Not just in Colossae, they're in Christ in Colossae. You never read Paul saying, I'm in prison. Woe is me. That's my environment. I'm in prison. In Philemon chapter 1, verse 23, he says, Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, greets you. There was one place I read, and I didn't copy it or put it on the screen, where he says, I'm in, the, I'm in this Roman prison. And he says, the whole prison guard knows that these chains... I have, I have chains in Christ. You know what he was saying? He was saying all the prison guard knows that I am in Christ. These chains are in Christ. He is my environment. He doesn't say I'm in prison. He says I'm in Christ in prison. That explains why he's able to rejoice at midnight when he's been beaten and he and his partner Silas are singing hymns in the middle of the night when they're still wounded and still have welts on their bodies and still have cuts. They're singing. Why? Because he's not just in prison. He's in Christ in prison. Paul was never in trouble. Hear me carefully. He was never in trouble, just in trouble. He was in Christ in trouble. And if you and I apply that to whatever you're facing now, you're not just in a certain situation. You're in Christ in that situation. You, have, you are in Christ, and Christ is in the Father, and Jesus is in you, and you have this incredible atmosphere, this incredible environment that's all around you. You don't have to pray, God, be with me. You couldn't even pray if he wasn't with you. 
When you were saved, you were united with Jesus Christ and you were put into the body of Christ, but you were put into Christ. And Christ was put into you. And you are one with him. So he was never in trouble. <laughs> he was in Christ in trouble. Kids, you might try that with your parents next time you're in trouble. Mom, Dad, I'm not just in trouble. I'm in Christ in trouble. Paul always carried his environment with him, abiding in the vine, drawing his life from the vine. Well, this life-giving environment is not only spiritual, personal, and essential. It is finally accessible. It is accessible. In chapter 15, verse 4, he says, abide in me. Jesus isn't going to tell you to do something you can't do. How do you abide in him? We're going to spend one or two messages talking just about that topic. But can I give you a first step? The first step when he says abide in me and, and this environment that I've described to you, it is there, it is real if you're a Christian. Jesus is in the Father, you're in Jesus, he's in you. That's your environment. How do you access that environment? Your first step is by faith. By faith. The trust that God's word is true. That Jesus is in the Father. Your life has been hidden in Christ. And his life is in you. You have to trust that. You have to believe that. No matter what comes your way this afternoon, tonight, tomorrow, this week, that you have an, a, an advantage over anybody else on the planet because you are in Christ. He is your environment. And the same circumstances may come to you and your neighbor and the other neighbor down the street, but that person who knows Jesus, they're in Christ. It's a totally different experience. This relationship with Jesus Christ begins with a simple step of faith. When Jesus went to the cross, he was dying for your sins and for my sins. Many of us know that with our head. And when he died, he was buried and he was raised again on the third day. But do you understand that when you trusted Jesus, you became a full participant in all of those things? That when he died, you died? When he was buried, you were buried. When he was raised, you were raised. And that right now, according to Colossians 3, you are seated in the heavenlies because your life has been hidden in Christ. That part of you is there right now. That there's a very real sense in which heaven has already made a down payment in your soul. And that's why we believe that when you trust Jesus Christ, because you are united with him, he didn't give you a ticket. He gave you a whole new life. He gave you a whole new environment. And when you fall asleep one day and you pass away, you go to sleep in Christ. When that day comes and the trumpet blast comes and there's, those individuals are raised from the dead, they're called the dead in Christ. Not even death can separate you from your environment once you trust Jesus and your life is united with him. Have you trusted Jesus as your Lord and Savior? Have you been born again by his Holy Spirit? Has he come to live inside you, and has your life been united with his life? I want to invite you today to come to Jesus. 
if you've never done that, have your sins forgiven through Christ, in Christ. Have your sins washed away, and he will change you, unite you to himself, and you will be his forever. Let me ask you to bow your head and close your eyes. Dear ones, the church at large, the church in our nation is largely sick because we're trying to live our life outside of our environment. God has called us to live in Christ, to walk in Christ. That everything we do would be in this environment of the Lord Jesus, in the Lord. If you're my brother, you're my sister this morning, you've trusted Jesus already as your Lord and Savior. I invite you to worship the Lord in these moments. Thank Him for this truth about your environment. Praise Him for that. But you might have been living your life in such a way that you've not recognized that truth. And you're realizing now the Lord is calling you to something deeper, something more real than what you've been doing in your Christian walk. He's calling you to himself to walk with him, to walk in him. And whatever you're facing, wherever you're struggling, whatever problem you have or difficulty, that is crushing your soul. You need to know that the Jesus Christ, who is the vine, is ready to supply you with everything you need to face that difficulty and that weight. Nothing lacking. We need to trust Him. Trust Him. If you're ready to take that first step, and you're ready to turn away from a life, doing life without Christ, and you're ready to put your trust in Him as your Lord and Savior. Pastors and I will be down front. We're here to pray with anyone. We're here to answer your questions, to help you, to share Scripture with you. You can leave here today with a certainty that you belong to Christ. Would you come?